How many of you guys enjoyed, actually did something outside yesterday? It was very nice and sunny. Um, I ate lunch outside and uh, was studying and then went home and Tamar was gonna meet me at home um, and we were gonna hang out outside and so then I remembered that she was gonna ask me if I put my sunscreen on my face so that I don't get age spots. Um, how many of you guys have age spots? Come on. How many of you view them as beauty marks? Like you just feel like you're just getting better looking the more of those little brown critters that just, uh, and uh, don't you love that they start out small and then they grow, you know, and they just get bigger. But um, it was awesome to have the sun out yesterday. It was cheery, it was fun. So we have been on, uh, today we're kind of starting it ties in with last Sunday uh, being Easter. But today and next Sunday, we're kind of focusing on the resurrection to the ascension. And so kind of working off of uh, Easter and, and looking at what took place. Um, you know, on Easter, many times what we're celebrating is that Jesus overcame the grave. He overcame death, that the grave was empty, that he rose, and, and the focus is there. And, and a lot of times we can then, the following Sunday, just go on to another topic, but there's so many things that then kept taking place in that. Why did he rise again? And what, what was going on after he rose again? What was he trying to get across to those that he had walked with, with his disciples, um, with those people that he had spent a lot of time with? And then what was the charge that he left them? So today, uh, this first part is Jesus appearing and our reactions. What are our reactions? Now, obviously, you and I weren't there when it happened. But the reactions of those that he appeared to are very similar to what your and my reactions would be. Uh, many times we like to think of ourselves as, well, no, I would be full of faith and I'd be ready to go and I'd be right there. But a lot of times we're actually, we would have doubt we would have questions, we would wonder. And next week, focusing on Jesus ascending and our mission. What is our mission? As Jesus ascended, what, were, what was he charging us to do? So here several weeks ago, we were in an activation series talking about activating what's inside you and I. And it's not even finding it. it it's, it's, it's already there. It's activating it. Even what we were doing today, movement is in you and I. I remember years ago, we went down, um, I don't know, maybe 12 or 15 years ago, we went down to Reading to Bethel and they were singing the Deep Cries Out song and actually the guy who wrote it was there and he was playing and we're sitting in the second row or third row and I just, I don't like to move. Any non-movers out there? Um, one, I don't have the best rhythm, okay? So especially when we're gonna do a clap and jump, it's usually like off and my clap and my jump just aren't at the same rhythm. Uh, it's harder for me to keep the beat. Usually if I'm gonna keep my hands on clapping, I gotta like tap my foot and it helps keep everything synergized. Um, you know, the movements with the hips, like I just don't have good hand-eye coordination. So when I'm going like this, it's kind of like my hips going the wrong way. 
Uh, you know, it's the same thing playing basketball. I learned to, I'm left-handed, and I learned to play basketball from my older brother, Jesse, who's right-handed. And so I would watch him make layups. Now, if you're right-handed, you're dribbling up to the hoop, and you jump off of your left foot to kind of get this angle in your body, which is the longest part, okay? So I learned, so all through school, when I would do layups, I jump off my left foot, as I was taught by a right-hander, with my left hand. So then these ones can just do their thing, and um, you don't get quite as much distance. But anyway, my hand-eye coordination has always been terrible. So those types of songs, um, let's just say they're not always my favorites. And, uh, but there's something in me that needs to get activated by it. So... I might not have the best rhythm or the best cadence or that, but there is still joy in me that I need to activate. There is still celebration in me that I need to activate. There is still being undignified and not caring. Who cares if my clap and my jump are off rhythm other than me thinking that you aren't singing the song and what you're doing is looking at me and like, (laughs) and getting out your phone like, we gotta capture this one, you know? But let's just celebrate God. So, so we're talking about activation. Or we were talking about activation. So we talk about activating what's in your hand. What is it that God already put in your hand that you already have that he wants to activate? That he wants to use? That he wants you to begin to be his hands and feet? Whether we're talking at the playground, whether we're talking in your classroom, whether we're talking at your job, your neighborhood, your home, he wants to activate that. Talked about activating the helper, the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent us the helper. The helper came. Jesus said it'd be better once he left because he was one person confined to his earthly body here on earth. But the helper, the Holy Spirit is with all of us at all times. Jesus doesn't have to say, okay, I I appreciate what you're saying, but I got to go because this person really needs me. And so then they come over here and they're helping. Holy Spirit is with all of us. But we got to activate the truth that Holy Spirit is with us and awaken it inside of us. Activating peace through trust. We all want peace. Not just saying peace you know, world peace, uh, we want that, but we want peace inside. The anxiety, the worry, the stress, that that would go away, it comes as we trust God. And as the only place we find true peace. Activating your story, which is actually God's story through you. Every single one of us has a story. How many of you sometimes think that your story is a little boring? And it just doesn't have enough, enough edge to it, enough grit to it. You just kind of, your story's just kind of, no, your story is beautiful. Because the beauty, it's not you. It's not the grit. The beauty is what Jesus did in you. The power, what he, how he transformed you. So we're activating that. And then also talking about what what do you need Jesus to be? We talked about the God is, and what is it that you're you're holding on to and saying, this is what I need Jesus to be 
in my life. Then Matt Molt came and he talked about the life of Joseph. Uh, if you didn't hear that message, I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to it. It rings so true for so many people where you have a dream, you have something that's a passion, and it doesn't go the way you thought it was going to go. How many of you have ever had that happen? Kids, how many of you have ever felt like your parents said that the day was going to go a certain way and you were going to be allowed to play something, watch something, hang out with somebody, and they changed their mind? Any of you kids ever? My kids, you can put your hands down. Many times there's things that we feel like we want to do. We want to, we, 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 we feel like we have a vision of what it's going to look like. But many times the vision that God gives you and I it's not about the destination. It's about the journey to that. And many times he uses this bearing and he says, I want you to start walking to that door. But I get so fixated on the door that really he has me walking the door because he wants me to meet up with Alan. It has nothing to do with that door. It has to do with the process. But I never would have met up with him had I not seen the door and had he not called me to it. Or maybe it's that he wants me to go through the door, but he wants me to meet up with Alan for Alan to go with me through that door. And so in Joseph's life, he had a dream. He saw something. It did not go at all the way he thought it was going to go. That's you and me. Where we hit obstacles and all these different things happen. But how do we respond? Do we keep trusting God? Keep relying on God. Keep believing in God's promises that he's going to make a way. And align ourselves with that and, and watch and see that the Lord is good. And he comes in those ways. Then Easter last Sunday, Bob shared um, three things that I, I kind of wrote down here. Is that he came. Jesus came. He came. How he came was humbly and with love. Why he came to sacrifice his own life for you and I and to save us. And what he brought, he brought his presence and he was ushering in the kingdom of God. Yeah. So today, focusing on resurrection to ascension, but really hitting on the, uh, not supposed to say that. Thank you. I caught myself after I said it. I apologize. I like to use the word hitting as in like, we're going to focus on it. We're going to make a point. Um, Tamar says it's a bit too uh, harsh, maybe you could say. Um, so anyways, that's just a little public uh, accountability there. So thank you guys for being part of that. Um, so Jesus appearing and our reactions. Okay, Jesus appearing and our reactions. First, the tomb is empty. Okay, so some women went to the tomb. They went there with spices to anoint his body. The Saturday was the Sabbath, so they're going there as soon as they could to go to really prepare his body and wrap it up with these spices. And, and so they're going. Now, Luke makes it sound like there was at least five women and did this by one saying Mary Magdalene. Now, how many of you guys know Magdalene was not her last name? Okay. Magdalene was not, um, she didn't play a mandolin. And therefore, then they called her Magdalene. It's, she came from, I struggle with pronouncing it, Magdala. Is that right? Did I say it right? Thank you. I really had to practice that one a lot. So she came from there. That's why the name Magdalene. But uh, just, just so that we know what her name was Mary. Now, it gets confusing. 
Because then there was also another Mary. But guess what? This isn't Jesus' mom Mary. This is like Jesus' aunt Mary. There's a lot of Marys in this story. (laughs) Then there was Joanna. And then it says, and other women. So it's believed that it would at least be five. Because if it was four, it would say, hopefully, and another woman, singular. But it's saying plural. So there was actually a group of them. A lot of times, you know, we think of just Mary all by herself there and nothing else happening. Um, now, these are the same. Mary and Mary were the, uh, would be a great band. Um, is it a band? It is? Yeah. Christian singers, 80s, 90s, something like that. These are the same ones that they stayed after a lot of people had left when Jesus was being crucified. To the very end, they stayed with him. They also then, they knew where the tomb was because after he had been crucified, when they're taking him down and they're going to take him to the tomb, they went there as well to see And then they, as soon as they could, they go and begin to prepare these spices. And as soon as they had the opportunity, they are back at the tomb because they love Jesus so much. And they wanted to honor him and prepare his body in that way. So the stone is moved. Now, there are different recordings of how this happened in Matthew. Basically, they walk up. And as they walk up, there's an earthquake. And then there's this big buff angel who had just finished rolling the stone away. And then he kind of just hops up on the stone. So that's kind of how it happened. Um, In Mark, they walk up, but the stone is already rolled away. They went in, saw a young man. Actually says young, so it's a younger angel on this one. uh, Sitting on the right side. Um... In, inside the empty tomb. And then in Luke, they walk up. Stone was already rolled away. They went in. Now there's two angels that were in there. Uh, in John, they walked up and the stone was already rolled away. Now, this could seem kind of confusing. Also, it could seem like, well, isn't the Bible contradicting itself? Anybody have those thoughts? You don't have to. It's good. Hey, here's the neat thing about it, though, is that it's not actually contradictory. If, if we put up a little quick video of something that happened, Um, maybe some people playing a game, and then we stopped the video, and I asked each one of us, what did you see? You know, what what color was the guy's shirt, and um, what kind of ball was he holding, and uh, what was in the background that was moving back and forth? We're all going to see slightly different things. What was neat is what this shows to me is how The Bible wasn't written to try to prove that there wasn't going to be like everything was down to the final detail of this. That there was there's a they actually were having conversations with people. If I was going to write the Bible and I was going to come up with this, I would want to make sure that those stories all lined up exactly so that I could prove Hey, look how exact it is. But here's four different people writing to kind of, in the Gospels, they're all writing to four different kind of groups and from four different mindsets. The story doesn't change. What is the story? Who was in the tomb? When they came, was he still in the tomb? Does it change the story on whether or not the stone was rolled away before the ladies got there or after the ladies got there? No, there's power in it. 
Because the power is in who Jesus was. The power is that this stone was rolled away and Jesus was no longer in the tomb. Then the angel says, don't be afraid. You ever notice that whenever there's an angel that just suddenly appears there, what's like the first thing that they have to say to who they're talking to? Don't be afraid. I don't know what it would look like and what it would feel like, but obviously there must be something kind of scary and intimidating by it. All of a sudden the angel's there because every single time what they had to say to these people is don't be afraid. But he says, don't be afraid. The man you're looking for is not here. So one of the issues here is not believing the reports. um, As they went and told the disciples, they didn't believe the women's report. They didn't believe that that could really be true. So Peter and John, they go running down. John, he he writes a neat account because he says how Peter was running, but that the other disciple, which he likes to call it that, but that other disciple is John who's writing this. He says, then the other disciple outran Peter and got there first. Like, like he was obviously more studly. So yeah, I, I started, I gave him like a 15 second head start, but I still surpassed him and got there first. And, and he, he's also the one where then he talks about, he's the one that Jesus loved. Um, that would probably be the way that I would write it if I was writing my gospel. <laughs> but so they, they're not believing, so the tomb is empty. They don't believe the reports at first. One of the reasons for this is not remembering what scripture says, nor what Jesus said. One of the angels, when meeting with them in Matthew 28, 6, says, just as he said it would happen. Because Jesus already said it would happen. In Mark 16, 7, you will see him there in Galilee just as he told you before he died. Luke 24, 6 says, remember what he told you. You and I are just like the disciples. There is so much truth written on these pages. There is answers to everything you and I are going through. Every decision we need to make. Every heartache we have. Every disappointment we have. There are men and women that have already gone through almost all those things. And the response that we should have is there. And when disappointment comes, we think we're the first person that had a dream and it didn't quite go the way we thought it was going to go. But if we remember and we go back into scripture, what God has already said to us, what has already taken place, we see that there's truth in it. We see instructions. We see guidance that is there. And in the same way, these disciples, they forgot what the prophets had already prophesied was going to take place. And how many times through their time walking with Jesus did he say, hey, this is what's going to happen. One of the big issues, though, like you and I, is it didn't fit their paradigm because it wasn't what they wanted to see happen. And so they didn't want it to be that way. So then they go searching for his body. Because they're thinking, man, someone took it. Mary had said, they have taken the Lord. And and, and she's telling them, hey, listen, his body's not there. They've taken the Lord, his body out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. Like they moved him to another place. 
That's where then Peter and John, they, they, they run to check the tomb. And they see the cloth laying there folded up. Quick clarification. Nowhere in the Gospels does it say that Jesus' body poof, vanished. And then the cloth just went and settled. But somehow the nose was still pointed up. And you could still see the, the parts of his body. Just like there wasn't a piece of toast um, with his face imprinted on it there in the tomb either. Uh, Basically, it's like Jesus got up, he was done, he was coming back to life. He takes off the wrappings, folds them up, puts them on there. He's getting out, he's going out the door, and he's walking out of the place. But so many of the things we see, you know, it's like the, the cloth, it's almost like there's like chicken wire molded underneath. And, um, and like we're doing like a, a, a paper mache of Jesus' body in the tomb. Mary Magdalene goes back to the tomb and mourns that his body. So she's now there with Jesus as he's dying. Others leave. They can't handle it. They've already given up. They go. She stays till the very end. She then follows him all the way to the tomb. She then leaves to go prepare spices. She comes back and sees that his body is now gone. She then goes to tell the disciples the report that his body's gone. She then goes back to the tomb to mourn and cry because her savior is missing. She's not seeing him. And this is when he appears and he appears to her. And then here in a little bit, shortly after that, all taking place in one day, he appears to two of the larger group of disciples. But we're gonna, real quick, we're gonna watch a, a quick video. We've been looking at the story of Jesus as it's told in Luke's gospel. It begins with the arrival of an unlikely king born in poor, humble circumstances. Then we saw Jesus as a teacher, prophet. He went throughout Israel calling people to a radical way of life, where enemies become friends, the poor are cared for, where people find forgiveness for their failures. He went from town to town inviting people to follow him and live under God's reign in this upside down way. And he did many signs and wonders. So many Israelites began to hope that he would rescue Israel from the Romans and set up a new kingdom of peace and justice. In short, that he would bring the kingdom of God. Now the religious leaders of the day were also hoping for God's kingdom. But to them, the message of Jesus was a threat. Yeah, they had expected to gain power and prestige when this all went down. But Jesus said God's kingdom belongs to the poor, to the outsider, and that real power is serving others in love. This conflict intensified when Jesus, while in Jerusalem, disrupted the temple sacrifices and called Israel's leaders a gang of rebels. So they arrested Jesus and they had him accused before the Roman authorities of being a rebel king. He was handed over for execution, even though he was innocent. Then he was taken outside the city and put to death on false charges. This brings us to the final section of the Gospel of Luke. There was a religious leader named Joseph who opposed Jesus' execution and then requested to be given his body so he could bury Jesus in a nearby tomb. And then a couple of days later, some women who had followed Jesus came to visit that tomb and they found it open and empty. And they encountered these mysterious figures telling them Jesus was alive from the dead. So they run away terrified. Nobody believes their report. I mean, he can't be alive. They all saw him die. 
Now, just outside of Jerusalem, a pair of Jesus' followers were leaving the city, traveling on a road to a town called Emmaus, and they were sad and confused about everything that had happened. Then Jesus shows up, walking alongside them, but they don't know it's him. Yeah, that's weird. Why couldn't they recognize him? Yeah, it's an odd but really significant image for Luke. They're blind to Jesus for some reason. So Jesus asks them, what are you guys talking about? And they begin to tell him about Jesus, a powerful prophet who they expected would rescue Israel, but was instead executed. Some women say he's alive, which is crazy. It's all too much. We're going home. So Jesus tries to explain that this is what the Jewish scriptures had been pointing to all along, that Israel needed a king who would suffer and die as a rebel on behalf of those who actually are rebels. And then he would be vindicated by his resurrection so he could give true life to those who would receive it. But it's still not making sense. They're as confused as ever. Which leads to the scene where they sit down for a meal with Jesus. He takes the bread, he blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them, just as he did at the Last Supper. Yeah, this is the image of his broken body, his death on the cross. And it's when they take in the broken bread, that's when their eyes are open to see Jesus, then he disappears, and the episode's over. So this is a story about how it's hard to see Jesus for who he really is. Yes, this is brilliant. I mean, how could God's royal power and love be revealed through this man's shameful execution? How could a humble man become the king of the world through weakness and self-sacrifice? It's very hard to see. But this is the message of the Gospel of Luke. It takes a transformation of your imagination to see it and embrace Jesus' upside-down kingdom. So here in that, Jesus had concealed himself, but he did it to also reveal something to us and really to reveal something about us in who we are. So as we look at this, here's three questions to think about as we kind of go through these two stories. Do you recognize him or are you distracted by your circumstances or your desires? Our desires can be the paradigm that we think it's in. Our desires can be the way we think it should be taking place. So do we recognize him or are we distracted by our circumstances and desires? What does he want to reveal to you in his concealment? So what is it in those moments? We all have them. Anybody here ever go through something tough and you, and you were crying out to God and you felt like you couldn't see him, you couldn't hear him? You have one of those moments, one of those times where you were... Man, you were, you were doing the fast. You're opening your Bible more than you ever had. You're like, okay, maybe I just need to jump more. Maybe I need to clap more. Maybe I just need to sing louder. Like, Lord, what, what, what is it? What do I need to dial in to get closer to you? But in it, there's silence. You just can't feel him. You thought he was next to you, but you're feeling around and you can't feel him. You, you're, you're, you're looking everywhere and you're trying to find him. You're, you're trying to hear is his voice there? What is he trying to reveal to us in that concealment? And also, is your faith in who he is or what you want him to do? Is our faith in who he is, what he already did, who he is, 
Or is my faith and belief actually in what I hope he does for me to make my life easier and to make my life go the way that I wish it would go in the way that would make me happier in that way? So we look at these two stories. First one, Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene, John chapter 20, verse 14 through 16. So then she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. So she's, she's gone back. She's weeping. Angel has a little conversation with her. She turns to leave. She saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she did not recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? So she thought he was a gardener. So here she has followed him. I mean, this person has followed him to every single thing. Here she's standing right back with the person, but she had so much grief She had so much of what she wanted to see him do that she wasn't able to see him through her mindset. She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Then she heard his voice when he said her name. Isn't it interesting how, uh, whether it's a friend or it's kids, how you can be, you know, somewhere with a ton of people. You can be in a grocery store and you can hear a kid call out their, their parents' name. There are a ton of kids in Target that day. And there are a ton of parents. But somehow, one kid says, Mom, And a whole bunch of people turn because it's like, okay, this kid's crying out for their mom. But there's one person that knows that's my child. Because they know the voice of the name. So in her grief, it had blinded her to not see him. And she wasn't expecting to see him. Because in her mind, where was he? And and they had taken him, right? That's why she was grieving. And that's what she went and said, was that they, they had taken him. They took his body and put it somewhere else. So how much are you and I like that? Where we're looking for Jesus because we want him around. But in our grief of what's going on, the emotion of what's happening, we can't see him even though he's right there. Or he comes up, but we're so focused on what we think he should be doing or where we think he is that we don't see him in the midst of this. I get so focused on going to the promised land through that door that I don't see that Jesus is in this relationship that I'm going to have with Alan when I slow down for it. In the next story, Jesus appears to uh, two of the larger group of disciples. So you can turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to just start in uh, verse 13. It says, that same day, so this is all happening in one day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened, all the things that had just taken place with Jesus. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, 
but God kept him from recognizing him. So I'm up here and I'm walking. Um, will you two get up here real quick? Yep, you're going to be the pinky one. That, yeah, two right here. All the way up here. <clears throat> so we're walking along. Elijah and I are walking and we're just talking about how our friend Caleb, our best friend, had died and he's nowhere to be found. He comes walking up, but God conceals him and he's wearing a jean jacket. We've never seen him wear a jean jacket. <laughs> and so we're just dumbfounded. We have no idea. We just think it's this stranger. So we're walking along. What verse am I on? Uh, and so verse 14, as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had just happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness. 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 That means you got to express sadness. <laughs> but they can't see you because you're looking at me. Yes. Sadness ran across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all these things that have happened here in the last few days. What things? What things? Jesus asked. Good. The things that happened to Jesus, the man of Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Here's their heart. So in the concealment, what does God reveal inside of them? It reveals what their true motive was. They're saying true things about who Jesus is and what he's done. But what was their hope? We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Their hope was shattered because they thought he was going to come and overthrow the government. They thought he was going to come and champion their cause. They thought he was going to take care of all the bullies on the playground and just wipe them away and say, guess what? You can have that swing and you can go as long as you want to go. And yeah, I'll give you an underdog. And yeah, I'll just stay here and push you. You just, yeah, enjoy it. You can, yeah, you can jump off at the high point and do flips. And I promise your neck won't break because I'm with you. Just keep doing it. They had hoped that something like that was going to take place. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning. And they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. They had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran to see. And sure enough, his body was gone, just as the woman said. Then Jesus said to them, I'm going to let you read this one because it's a little longer. But you need to say it with like just intense authority. You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering the, his glory? So he's reminding them. Yeah. 
I, I don't know if he said it that harsh, the foolish part. Um, I would have been offended, but... Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scripture the things concerning himself. Will you guys tell these guys thank you? So here they've cried out and they've, they've, they've shared what they wanted Jesus to do. They shared what had taken place, thinking this guy must be crazy. He's the only person who does not know what has taken place. And then they reveal their heart in what they wanted to see Jesus do. Was to do what they needed done. And their hope was in that. So he reminds them then. He goes back. What's he also want to reveal? He also wants to reveal his word. He wants to take us back to his word and say, people, I've told you over and over. It's written here. And it's written here. And it's written here. And it's written here. You were accused by someone, falsely accused. It's written here. You, you were betrayed by someone. It's written here. You're, you're suffering from a, a terrible disease. It's written here. You feel all alone like you have no friends and there's no one there for you. It's written here. You don't know how to find my promises. They're written here. You, you, you're saying, Jesus, just show me how to act, but, but I can't hear your voice. It's written here. God, I don't know if I can trust you. Are you, are, are you, are you real? It's written here. He's bringing his word alive to us. And he's saying, it is written. Everything that just took place was written. But you don't believe Because you're so fixated on what you want me to be for you that you miss who I really am. His word reveals who he is to you and I. His word is where we go back and we're reminded because each one of us are going to go through times where the storms come and life happens and we get blown around. He wants this to be our anchor. He wants us to remember who he is. So Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going to be going on. He pulled a quick one on them. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. I could just see him being like, oh, no, yeah, I got a couple other appointments. I'm busy. And they're like, please stay. And he's like, okay, fine. If you really want me to, I will. Stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. I think it's so beautiful that one, that even in his concealment, that he is there and he's revealing things to you and I, if we're willing to listen and if we're willing to receive it. Secondly, is that he revealed himself through communion. He had said, he had taken the elements and he said, do this in remembrance of me. 
It is an action because it reminds us of who he is. It, again, it's like the word. It reminds us of the truth of who God is. And in that act of them taking the bread and, and taking the wine and taking communion after his death, they begin to see who he really is and their eyes are open to that. So do you recognize him or are you distracted by your circumstances and desires? I think that's a challenge for you and I, that when we're going through things in life and when we feel like he's far away or he's not answering us or, man, I, I, thought, I thought he told me this was going to happen and this is how my life was going to go. I tell you what, my life is not going at all the way I wanted it to go. But we can get so fixated on that that we miss what he's doing. On the other hand, my life is going exactly the way I thought it was going to go. Everything that I saw myself doing, I'm doing. It's just completely reversed and completely shooken up. That doesn't make him a liar. But it's what he used to get me to where I am right now. Or are we so blinded by our, um, by our grief or, or whatever it is or our desires that we wanted Jesus to rescue us from the, from the bullies or those hard times? What does he want to reveal to you in this concealment? The question that they shared revealed their hearts because it revealed their motive, what they were looking for. And do we believe scripture? He reveals himself during communion. He reveals himself during the scripture and in the prophecies. And all through it, we can go back and we can see who he is. Last one is your faith in who he is or what you want him to do. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with us making petitions and making requests. But many times we put our faith in what we want him to do. Therefore, when it doesn't happen, our faith is rocked. And we think he's not the same. But he, that was what we were putting on him. He is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. All right. I'm going to, this is really weird. I'm going to go to a joy slide. And because um, I feel like I just created a very somber environment. And I myself am just like, let's just sit here in this and just really feel the weight of it. One thing is God gets to choose. This is Tamar's quote. I need to give her credit. I did not come up with this. God gets to choose the when and the how of making himself known to us. We don't choose that. He chooses it. So here's the deal. Joy comes when we believe that Jesus has risen. Who here believes that Jesus has risen? When we put our belief in that, joy comes in that. Joy comes when we recognize that Jesus is with us. And we see him when we're not looking through our own desires or our own paradigms, but that he's with us. Joy comes when we remember what he already said. His word. We can find joy in that place. Joy comes when we believe his promises will come to pass. Even like Joseph, it didn't happen exactly the way in his dream he was going to make the way he interpreted what God had shown him. But it all came to pass. 
Joy comes when we realize that he desires to be with us. Joy comes when we realize that he desires to make himself known to us. Man, my encouragement is this, is that Jesus wants to resurrect something inside of each one of us. And I know that week to week, we can be going through something difficult. But how easy it is for our response to go into a place of isolation because we believe we're all alone. We believe he forgot about us. We think he's not there. We think we must have done something that got us off the path from what his promises were. Or we think he's so busy talking to this other person and, and blessing them. And man, you know, they, he just wants to give them a new car and give them a new house and give, give them perfect kids. And man, their health is just amazing. And man, they get bonuses and raises and it's just money, 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 money. And you just feel like there's nothing that you're getting. He's with us. He is with us. But you know, us choosing joy is a choice, obviously, because I just said it was. But it's a choice that we have to make. Joy isn't something that just gets poured into you. It's something that we choose. Even as we sang those songs earlier, the freedom doesn't come just because we're here in the room. The freedom comes because we make a choice and we step into, I'm going to, like Tamar said, I'm just going to move my head a little bit. Or I'm going to clap. Or I'm going to jump up and down. I'm going to stir it. Or, you know, and all the other things that we did. As we go into it, there's a joy that takes place. So my exhortation to all of us is that we choose joy. We choose joy not to choose an emotion to overcome another emotion, but we choose joy that is founded in knowing that Jesus Christ is with us. We choose joy that is founded in knowing that his word is true. We choose joy to know that the things he's promised every single one of us are going to come to pass and that he is faithful.